Thanks for visiting studiolighting.net. You're listening to Light Source. And welcome to episode 5 of Light Source, the official podcast of studiolighting.net for December 16th, 2005. Studiolighting.net provides photographers with studio lighting equipment techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, image inspector and exclusive photographer with iStockphoto.com. Today we're going to talk a little bit about some news going on with studio lighting, and we'll have an audio article about light meters. So we got some interesting news in studio lighting this month. The big one? The big one is the D200, I would say. Uh, yes, my, my friend Matt at work is very excited because he just got an email from Ritz Camera that his is on the way, so they are shipping. Nice. So it's official then. The Nikon D200, the the rumored mill was flowing a while back and it's been confirmed and now they're actually shipping the cameras. So what what are some of the features on that camera that make it special? Well, uh, the big one is the 10 megapixel and probably the biggest one aside from that that I'm really excited about is that it, the price range that they put it at. They could have priced this camera about $500 more and they would have still been flying off the shelves. What's the street price? Uh, I think street is like 18. Is that what it is? Yeah, right now you can get the D200 on Adorama for $1,700 with delivery starting at the end of December. Now that's body only, correct? Yeah, that's just the body. I mean, you're getting a lot of camera for that. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's It's got a lot of the pro features of the D2X. Um, but in the similar body style of the uh, D70. I think it's just odd that Canon decided to release a camera that's that close in price range to the D70, and it's weird. It almost seems like they're competing with themselves. Yeah, it seems like they do that a lot. I mean, even the, even between the D50 and the D70, I mean, they're they're fairly closely priced, and their features are close too. So it's kind of interesting how they kind of cater to different levels of photographers in, in a similar price range. But okay. I wouldn't mind seeing that under under my Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, being a Canon guy, I think I'll wait a little bit more. Yeah. I also uh, I noticed that Nikon put up a digital tutorial for that camera. They've been doing... Have you seen these digital tutorials? No, I haven't. And they're pretty neat. They they walk you through the camera features, and it's specific to each model of camera. So it's a pretty good feature. If you're, if you're even shopping around, this would be a good place to go and read about the camera at NikonUSA.com. Nice. Yeah. A couple of uh, new releases in lighting equipment. Mostly uh, smaller stuff, but there was a ring flash that came out. Did you see that? Yeah, that was the one from Digislave. Digislave, yeah. It's an LED ring light that goes around the end of your camera lens. Yeah, I just I worry about the uh, the light output on it. I I'm thinking it might not be enough to get uh, really good aperture settings. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, anything with LEDs. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's really into this stuff, electronics and LEDs. And he said that the output just really isn't there. I mean, unless you're inches away from your subject, I think we're going to have to wait a little while until LED light can be used in a, in a studio setting or a portrait setting other than macro. I heard the same thing from an electronics engineer one time. They were saying that the output of LED is extremely bright, but it doesn't 
cast or illuminate very far. That's wild. Yeah, but to look at it, it's very, very, very bright. It's excellent for like a car tail light or you know a traffic light or things like that. Which you're looking at and you don't need to... Right, you don't need it to cast the subject, but you need it to catch someone's attention. Right. Now, most of those LED ring lights are only really good for macro lighting. They're really not good for use as like a fashion ring light for someone across the room or things like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Although they have a picture on the site of a room that's lit up with one. So I imagine if you were close enough to your subject, that would be a little bit awkward, but you could probably maybe light a face or something like that. You but could it totally close their pupils with, uh, with yeah, the bright light right in their eyes. That's true. But for like, you know, product photography or eBay stuff, it might, might be really useful light. And they're reasonably priced, I'd say around $250 for the mid middle size one. Digislave makes a lot of uh, very affordably priced stuff. I remember looking at, they had these little square uh, slave lights that you could buy to work with like a point and shoot camera for extra lighting around the room and things like that. And I think those are like 20 or $30. So I mean, oh, I guess it's, it's a very affordable uh, setup. Yeah. But you sent me another ring light to take a look at. Yeah, was, uh, I actually heard about this on another podcast. I believe it was Media Artist Secrets podcast. Um, they were talking about a video chroma key system called the Light Ring, L-I-T-E-R-I-N-G, by a company called Reflect Media was the name of the company. Without the T, right? So it's Reflect, R-E-F-L-E-C, Media. And they have, I'm looking at the website right now, they have kind of a, a green chroma light that goes around the end of the camcorder, which you mentioned you saw a shot of the, someone using this. Yeah, one of my Flickr contacts actually has one, and they used it in their chroma key background, and... You just stick it on the camera and then white balance it, or you do a custom white balance to it. Oh, okay. And it's great for doing chroma backgrounds, but I would love to see this adapted a little bit more and trying to use it as more of like a fashion style red light. That would be really cool. I mean, just from the photos on the site, it looks like that might be a really neat application. Something worth checking out. Um, I've read a couple of reviews of Aperture now. Have you been keeping up with what people are saying about Aperture? I, I have been trying to ignore it because I don't want to want to buy a new Macintosh. Yeah. You know, I, I actually read one negative review. Oh, really? Yeah. And the other day, I was reading Clay Eno's blog. Clay's the photographer we just interviewed on the last episode. And he actually said that he saw a demonstration at B&H the other day. And he's going to hold off on purchasing Aperture because he mentioned that he really wanted to get into it that it looked like it might be the workforce solution for him. But he said he's going to wait until they come out with a, a new a new uh, version. He didn't get a, go into a lot of detail on his blog about why he felt that way, but something tells me that maybe he saw some things in it that made him think it needed to mature a little bit. Hmm, that's a shame. Well, it is yeah. a version 1 release. Right. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> when you jump in, when you're an early adopter, sometimes you deal with some of that stuff. But Yeah, I'm still sold with Photoshop. Yeah, well, besides, you and I would have to sell some of our equipment to purchase uh, computers powerful enough to run Aperture anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At least I would, for sure. Well, before we get into the audio article, it's the holiday season. I assume that you're taking pictures of the family. I know I am. Uh, yes, the uh, infamous annual family portrait for Christmas. <laughs> Was it as scary as mine? It wasn't bad. You know, the trick is we waited until the very end of the night and all the kids have this sort of dazed look because they were kind of tired by then. <laughs> it worked Brilliant. out well. I saw your shots. They were they were really good. You can check them out on, the, on Ed's Flickr feed. Yeah, I'll have to make sure we get a link up to that in the show notes. But my, uh, I think my photo session was a, a bit of a test in frustration. Really? 
Yeah, there were a lot of outtakes, a lot of funny stuff, but it took us forever to get the the Christmas card shot. How how is it working out with the new uh, Alien Bees? I am loving them. I'm having a lot of fun playing with different setups and um, playing with different uh, modifiers and kind of working on my own ring light for the Alien Bee system. Ooh, secrets out. Uh, yeah, I know. There are no pictures of it online, though. <laughs> Ed's working on the top secret design for a ring light for alien bees. Uh, I'll put it on the internet after I uh, contact the patent office. There we go. <laughs> but one thing that, that has been helping me a lot, that, like I said, I have been using the bees a lot, and especially with high-key backgrounds, when I would do my shoot and get back to the computer and take a look at it, the, the exposure wasn't what I saw in the camera, and I was even trying to read the histogram and ignore the the image display because I know that's going to be wrong. Right. But I guess I'm just not used to reading that high-key histogram on the back of the camera, so I've gone back to, well, I have been using my light meter, but I am relying on it 100% now for my shoots. Okay. And I'm finding that my workflow is getting a lot easier because my exposure is even because I get my lights set up, I figure out how I want them, what aperture I want to use. I take my readings and I set my camera at that and I roll with it. So you've been relying on your meter a lot more than... Yeah, I've been I've been trusting my meter more. Okay. And uh, I'm finding great results with it. Well, let's talk a little bit about meters. Okay, that sounds good. Because I think a lot of people have questions about, about light meters in general. I think it might be useful for us to just chat about that for this, this month's audio article. Where do we start? <laughs> Well, uh, we should probably talk about what a light meter does and the two different types of metering that cameras do. Um, probably the first place I would start is explaining how the meter works in a camera. The way that the camera metering works is it's a reflective meter. And you'll, as we talk about handheld meters, we'll learn that there's um, incident meters and reflective meters. Now, as comparison, the camera meter is a reflective meter, which means that it takes a look at the light that's being bounced off of the subject back into the camera, and it tries to make that a very neutral uh, neutral gray, which they consider to be 18% gray. 18% is just what camera manufacturers over the years have decided is the average gray, right? Right. Like if you took all the color out of every scene and you just kind of looked around, the average color would be 18% gray. Okay. So your reflective meter... Right, it's trying to match 18% gray of the scene. And there's different modes inside your camera. You can do a valuative, which is the entire scene, or you can set down to a smaller circle inside of the camera, which is you know, center-weighted center or spot metering, depending on what your camera has. So what that does is it tells your, your camera's then only going to use a certain section of the image to get its meter reading, right? Exactly. But it's also measuring that light that's in that area that you've selected on your camera being bounced back into the lens. So if you were shooting a picture of a white wall and you metered it and you put it at dead on zero exposure, that wall would be 18% gray. In the, in the final image. In the final image. In the same way if it was a black wall. If you took that spot and you tried to meter it and you got your meter to dead center in the camera, you would have a completely gray wall. So that must be why reflective meters are a bit of a challenge to use in a studio setting because different colors will affect the actual meter reading. Exactly. That's why handheld meters that are used in a studio setting use what's called an incident reading. 
And if you've seen pictures of any of the light meters, you've seen these little, they call them lumispheres that are at the top of them. That's like a little, looks like a, about like a half of a ping pong ball that's attached to the top right. of the meter. And it's actually shaped at 180 degrees. So that way it can capture the light that's coming in all around like like if you were positioning in the place of a face, it would catch the light that's coming in the front and the left and right sides, and top and bottom for that matter. Okay, so incident meters are metering light that's falling on the subject. Exactly. That means you have to have the meter at the location of the subject then? Correct. Okay. Now, with an incident meter, the color of the subject doesn't matter then? Exactly, because it's reading the light that's coming into the meter, not what's being bounced off of the subject. Now, incident versus reflective doesn't really have anything to do with, like if you're shooting in a studio or if you're shooting outside, right? You can have either meter used in either situation. Correct. You can use them either place. Now, there's one difference that we should probably mention as well, which is uh, measuring ambient light versus measuring strobe lights or studio lights. Um, because ambient light is if you hold your meter up, it's always changing depending on the lighting. So if a cloud comes by, you can watch the light meter actually change. The problem with a, with a strobe, though, is that that light's only there for a fraction of a second. And you can't see your meter change to tell you what the reading is going to be, what the exposure needs to be. So all a flash meter does is it remembers that bright flash of light. And it allows that to stay on the, on the readout so you can see it after the exposure. And actually, a lot of the flash meters can set the strobes off themselves by putting a sync cord in the front of it, or as we'll talk about a little bit later, some of them have like a radio transmitter in the flash meter to, to fire the strobes wirelessly. But you fire the strobe with your meter, and then it tells you on the front how much light hit it when the strobes went off. Now, let's talk specifically in a studio setting, Ed, in terms of what how you like how do how would you go about metering a basic studio setup well uh keep in mind that i'm just getting really started with using my light meter i just got my lights but um you know i set up my lights where i you know kind of get them where they're going to be casting shadows where i want to be where you know depending on whatever my setup's going to be and then i will take uh, most of the setups I've been doing, I have at least one or two lights on a background and one or two lights on a subject. So I'll plug my sync cord into my background lights and turn off my key lights for that are going to be on the person. Okay. And then I take a meter reading back at the background. Right. And kind of figure out what that's going to be. And then I go up and turn those lights off and turn my key lights on. And then I take that reading. So you're and trying to I, figure out the ratio of the brightness of your background and your subject. Exactly. I've been right for the most part. I've been trying to keep them fairly even or either, you know, I'll take my background down a little bit or if I'm shooting some high key, I'll bring that background up. So that way it's, it's white, white. And a, and a method that I often use is I leave all my lights on um, and meter with them all on just in case, you know, there's light spilling on the background that I wasn't expecting or, or whatever. I've read that people do it both ways. Some people like to turn like meter each light individually with all the others off and other people leave all their lights on. I think it really, you could do it either way. When we're metering scenes, we're talking about, we've said stops here and there. We're talking about aperture settings. We're talking about F stops. 
that's what you're talking about when you do meter light in a studio setting. So exactly. an example might be to pick, you might hear someone say, I'm going to shoot this at F8. That means that the aperture setting for that particular setup is going to be F8. They're going to set their camera to F8 and they're going to turn their lights up until they meter F8 in their light meter. That way everything matches. You have a shooting aperture of F8. And if you, then if you want to do fill light, for example, and you know your ratios, um, you can basically say, well, I want the fill light to be a stop or two stops less bright than the main light. Then all you have to do is, is meter that fill light from the subject position until it, and adjust your intensity until it actually reads, you know, a stop or two less than the main. Well, let's talk a little bit about the different meters that, that are out there. Um, like, for instance, which which meter do you use, Bill? I actually use a Polaris meter. It's a little flash meter. Basically, it's a very simple meter. It does have a dome that you slide from the left to the right. If you want to have a reflective meter, you slide the bulb off of the, off of the meter receptacle. And if you want to do ambient or incident readings, you slide the dome over on top of the receptacle and you shoot that way. It also can fire strobes with a sync set uh, sync cord, but it's a very basic meter, LCD display, and it measures f-stops uh, f in tenths tenths of a stop. Okay. What about you? Um, I had purchased the Sekonic, uh L358 flash meter, and I got that one for a couple different reasons. It does flash and ambient readings. It also measures flash in a couple different modes. That that was one thing I was really interested in because, as you may, you guys may have remembered, uh, I was talking that for the probably for the last year or so, I've been using speed lights, and they don't have they don't come with a pink PC sync cord to trigger them. Good point. So, the three fifty eight has a mode where it just reads whenever it acts like a photo slave. When you trigger your flash it reads that flash of light and takes a reading whenever it sees that flash. Okay. So it has that mode and it also has a mode that you can plug in your sync cable and when you hit the button to to take your measure on the flash, it will trigger your strobes. So you can kind of put it in an auto mode or, or a triggering mode. And then there's a couple other ways, like I think the meter that comes with it is an eight degree spread of area that it reflects from, but you can also buy spot meter attachments that will plug into that same area and that go down to a one degree spot that you actually have a little sight finder that you you look through just like you would through a camera so you can take a reflective spot meter that way with an additional attachment so it's metering a very small portion of whatever you pointed at exactly so you could like if you're looking at like a barn that's you know, on a landscape, you can get a meter reading. Like if it's a white, white barn, you can, you can take a reading off of that and then go up an exposure to get it white. One thing I also read about the meter that you used, this Iconic L358, is that it's waterproof pretty much. It's completely, it's got weather gaskets all over the place. Well, it's not waterproof. <laughs> weatherproof. Weather okay. That's not it's exactly a, the same thing. Yeah. You can't, can't use it underwater, but you know if it gets rained on, you're probably not going to get it damaged very much. That's a nice, nice thing not to worry about if you get caught in the rain or something like that, or uh, if you're on a photo shoot that involves water for one reason or another. Now, Seiconic has a couple of nice meters. You've got a really good all-around meter. I was reading about a meter that's not as feature-rich. In fact, it's very close in features to 
the Polaris meter that I use, and it's similarly priced, and I think it's pretty new also. It's a Siconic L308S FlashMate. So it's a dedicated little flash meter that just, uh, you know, has your basic feature set, but it's a little less expensive. What's the retail price on that one that you're looking at? Uh, that one is 179 That's not bad. That's a really good price. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting in the studio lighting and you need a meter, um, the Siconic L308S is, is a, probably a good way to get into it. And the Polaris that I have, you can buy that new for 159 So they're comparable in terms of features and price. Your meter new is about 260 or so, right? Yeah, it was about... Um, I think I got into a show special one place that I was. Yeah, so that's and, and you're, you're paying for some extra features and probably uh, well worth it, especially in light of the accessories that you added or that you can add. There's there's another high end Siconic that you actually mentioned to me the other day. The L yeah the uh, the L five fifty eight Dual Master. Now that thing that just sounds like a sweet meter. <laughs> what <laughs> what makes that thing so special? Well, it's uh, the thing that's really interesting about this one is this is kind of like the Cadillac of uh, of light meters. It, it had, basically has everything built into it. It has the wireless um, triggering for alien bees. It has a one degree spot meter that actually goes like if you're holding the device and you're looking at the LCD, the spot meter actually goes um, kind of perpendicular to the unit. You would actually hold up to the eyepiece and look through it. You don't have to switch off your LumaDisc and put a different viewfinder adapter on it. It's all built into the device. Oh, so it's a, that's why they call it a dual master, I guess. It has a spot meter built in and and the ambient and flash meter on top. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's nice. great if you're going to be indoors, outdoors, doing different different sorts of things where you're going to be in the field and in the studio where you're going to be using that reflective metering and incident metering together. Okay, and this can trigger strobes, you said. Yes, yeah, it can trigger. It has um, pocket wizard built wirelessly, into it. so you don't need you don't need to use a sync cord at all. No, you don't need that at all. But the reason I got the three fifty eight that I did uh -huh. was, I think it's like a hundred and some dollars. You can get a small little module that actually plugs in where the battery cover is. Okay, and then I could use if I figured at some point I would probably add pocket wizards to a studio setup. So I went with the three fifty eight, used it with my speed lights and now I have my strobes I use it with a sync cord but I'm already starting to see that you know that cords going all over the place are getting to be a little little bit of a hassle and eventually I could see that I would probably want to get pocket wizards and then I can just upgrade my meter to to work with the pocket wizards so you could get the L358 which is very reasonably reasonably priced as your entry level meter or mid-level meter really it's a great meter and then you could add on to it to fire your slaves wirelessly when you get to that point is what you're saying. Exactly. And if you wanted to add the one degree spot meters, I could add that to the 358 as well. Nice. That so sounds like I, a really I, cool way to go. I think it's a very, a very good light meter and flash meter to, for anyone that thinks that they might have some future expansion. If you spend any time online, you see a lot of people use that meter. It's a really good meter and it's really popular as well. And it's pretty small too. It's not. It's not really big or bulky. It's fair. It kind of reminds me of like a uh, maybe a two-year-old cell phone. Nice. You can get a lot of information about light meters on their website, uh, which is Seconic.com. S-E-K-O-N-I-C.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And actually, we'll 
We'll put links to all of these different light meters in the show notes so you can check those out. But for now, we've we've established that light meters are extremely useful in a studio setting, and I would go as far as to say that a flash a flash meter is probably just as important if you're going to buy light lighting equipment as any any other piece of equipment because there's without that you're kind of flying blind. I completely agree. I, I find that having my meter is is invaluable. I put my lights where I want them. I grab the cord. I take a couple readings. I set my camera and I'm ready to shoot. That's all we have for this episode of Light Source, the brightest podcast on the internet. Don't forget to check out the site, studiolighting.net, for show notes about things we talked about on the show. There you can also find links to Bill and Ed's photography as well. And if you didn't get enough of me during this show, you can check out edhidden.com for the photocast, which is another podcast that I'm producing about my work and my experiences with photography. That is a very good thing to check out, Ed. You're doing a great job with that. Thanks, Bill. And don't forget, you can email us or send us an MP3 at studiolighting at gmail.com, and we'll try to answer your questions on the show. I'm Bill Crawford. And I'm Ed Hidden. See you next time.